Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. We will employ an exciting, fast, explosive, and diverse offense combined with a physical, punishing, relentless, suffocating defense. Purdy rolls right, looking to throw. Benito gives chase, comes back left. Purdy still looking, sets up, balls loose, rolling around in Iowa State territory. Redmond picked it up. Redmond on the run. Redmond scores. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host today, Kamir Morabian, and I am joined by my trusty sidekick in Stephen Brown. Stephen, how's life, man, before this Arctic blast that we are apparently going to experience <laughs> Thursday evening where it's already kind of cold outside and then it's going to be negative like 13, so everybody's pipes are going to burst once again. Yeah, I just let the, uh, the dog out before I jumped on the podcast and it was uh it's pretty cold out there and actually uh my washer and dryers on the, the garage in the backyard so um this upcoming winter blast might be a little bit rough we'll see hopefully the pipes stay together we'll just wrap them with some towels or whatever but we're uh we're prepared at the very least yeah we, at least we've got alone. got all of the outdoor faucets uh, or whatever you want to call them, wrapped up in these insulator things, and all the, all the, all the faucets dripping, and all the cabinets open underneath to make sure they don't burst. But hey, you know, like I, just like last year or the year before that, which and whenever it was, I had good friends in Texas that took all precautions and didn't matter anyways. So uh, we will see what happens, man. But as long as the power plenty... doesn't go out, see that's that's the thing. That's, that's the, the thing for part. me. That's the thing for me because when that big ice power, did happen, I don't need, I don't need clean clothes. Just go buy more. Yeah, I'll just put on an extra hoodie. You know, because it, it's like yeah, it's fine. a couple a couple years ago, if I had power, if I had power and I'm cold, I'm relatively okay. And like, or I can go to my parents' house or go into some go to a buddy's house or something like that that right. does have power. But I mean, if if I have no power in the house. I mean, like, I remember it was like a, just a blackout regionally, right? Rolling blackouts and like boiling hot water on the stove and putting up curtains, man. Like old school stuff that I learned from my parents, like turning the stove on or, or the oven on or because we have gas. Uh, it's not uh, electric. So that was always helpful. Oh, nice. Uh, and so like boiling, boiling water and like putting up sheets, man. Like it was something something different something that of like red dead redemption or something like that so 
But uh, let's talk, let's talk about OU football, man. We got a lot to talk about. We're not gonna talk about the bowl game today uh, against Florida State, even though like, Oklahoma and Florida State are familiar foes. Use usually on the larger stage, uh, Florida State's actually becoming a decent team again. Oklahoma's in the middle of this transition period. We've got coach talk. We've got portal recruiting stuff. Just a, just a lot of things and and a little bit of holiday stuff. So let's get right to it. So obviously the bowl game hasn't happened. Oklahoma is 500. Uh, looking back on our preseason kind of like thoughts, I'm not going to get into it too much because we're going to save a lot of those for another day. But I remember thinking that I said OU and Kansas State would meet in the Big 12 title game. In that, uh, in that, I remember Chisholm saying that I was drinking the purple Kool Aid, and uh, the the dog also agrees with Chisholm. Um, but I remember saying that you know. Kansas State was likely going to meet OU in the Big 12 title game. And Chisholm was saying I was possibly drinking the purple Kool-Aid. And I was thinking, I don't know, they're a little more disciplined. And lo and behold, Kansas State wins the entire Big 12. Um, Oklahoma, they look like they were maybe five to eight plays from being nine and three instead of six and six. Um, so this year, I, I just kind of felt indifferent. Uh, I know fans were very, 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 um, let's say some were very patient. Some were not patient at all. Um, some don't want to give, give the benefit of the doubt for that first year um, without, you know, without context, I suppose. And so this year, I mean, you saw Dylan Gabriel go down for two games and you saw a lot of issues and remnants left behind from the Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch era. And so I look back at this year and I feel kind of indifferent. I'm like, yeah, you had your starting quarterback go down. You have no quarterbacks behind him that they could touch the field. I mean, they went wildcat before they went to backup quarterback, which is just crazy to think about. <laughs> and so, I mean, this year, I think, well, the defense has a learning curve and, they're getting better on defense offensively man like they just were off and on they could they found places where the offensive line started to gel toward the end of the season Eric Gray's really getting it going and then the offensive passing game would be on and then some days would be completely off and sputtering and so just again the thing I would ultimately say Constantly over and over, they were consistently inconsistent. That describes this year to a T. Um, how, how do you feel about this year so far before the bowl game? It's a little bit of a disappointment, but at the same time, I think we learned a lot about what Oklahoma has and what Oklahoma can do in the portal. Um, we kind of look at this portal as a, a way to restock and, you know, you can just fill in talent wherever, and that's just not the case. And we look at that at quarterback you lose two five-star quarterbacks. You bring in uh, Davis Bevel and General Booty, and um, you soon you find out that those guys just aren't it. Like, they're not going to be replaceable. They're, they, you can't just plug and play the quarterback position. And what your offerings in the portal are are guys that didn't really make it where they were, so they're finding another opportunity. Um, you know, Davis Bevel wasn't going to be the guy at, what was it, uh, Pitt? So why would he be the guy at Oklahoma? So. Um, Transfer portal wise, I think we learned a lot that you just can't rely on that. You have to go back to recruiting. You have to build up your quarterback room basically from the ground up, unless you get like a Caleb Williams, which you're just not going to get every year. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think there's some, some bright spots when you look at, it. I think 
the offensive line, when you see them playing better, it kind of gives you hope for the future because you can you can fix the skill position so like receivers, running backs, you can fix that a lot easier than you can fix offensive line. So, um, you know, if it was the other way around where the offensive line kept, you know, going backwards, I would feel a lot worse about the season. But you look at it in the trenches, offensive line, getting better as they go on, kind of gelling, um, skill positions, they're hit or miss. I mean, you have guys there, but they weren't elite playmakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel better about Jeff Levy's offense than I did, you know, week six. Than I, than I do now. So um, defensively, I think, you know, they just don't have the personnel they need. Uh, they're starting to fill that in with this recruiting class and obviously um, through the transfer portal. But I'm less down on this Oklahoma team than I was, you know, after the Baylor loss or West Virginia loss. And I think it's interesting to bring that up about how the transfer portal doesn't fix things, right? Because We've gotten used to the transfer portal as far as NCAA basketball, whereas one portal guy can mean a world's difference. Whereas Oklahoma or college football, that's not how things work. There's not five guys on this team uh, that do, you know, one particular job, whether it's shooting threes or a guy that's going to handle the ball in transition, et cetera, whatever. There are 11 guys on a team and one guy has maybe one specific job. And so it's just really intriguing to think about transfer portals and how it differs between college football and how it differs between college basketball and other sports in general, because basketball is such a smaller uh, example and level a scope of only five guys on the field for your team. Whereas in, in football, it's, 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 it's 11 and that's not counting the specialists and other things that guys can do for you. And so I think that's pretty significant. And why, why do you feel like you have more confidence in Levy now than when you did earlier in the season? I think a lot of people feel the reverse. I mean, you look at the concepts, obviously some of the play calling and the clock management is something they're going to look back and say, Hey, we should have done this, this, or this. Um, But now we know. So, the things that we kind of had complaints about as far as just maybe they throw three times in a row, tempo, those are things that they can fix. Um, things they can't fix are like, obviously just a day offensive line. Um, Dylan Gabriel, I think you just get what you get there, but let's say Jackson Arnold's the real guy there and they keep playing the way they're playing up front. I think that offense will be just fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I, I think Jackson Arnold to that, I think he pushes Gabriel more than any other quarterback that's on that roster currently next year. Uh, Cause I expect, I fully expect Gabriel to be back next year because I mean, he was out for a couple games and he had a couple of monster games uh, in which they lost a couple of those monster games, particularly that tech game. <laughs> uh, but more specifically, because you kind of like looked into this a little bit. It's so, like want to lean into this a little bit more. So what are things that you feel like, cause you mentioned Jeff Levy and like they're looking back on this season, et cetera. What are things that you feel like need to be changed and adjusted, or maybe just things that need to be continued and progressed throughout the season and for, for going through next, next season too, like, like in off season, like what are things that need to be changed, adjusted, or just need to be worked out in itself? Well, I think you need to look right at Brent Venables for this one and just find a guy that either maybe it's Brent Venables or just a guy that can get in his ear and say, hey, maybe we should call a timeout right here. Maybe we should, you know, spike the ball. 
we need to save some clock or we need to run some clock here. Uh, if you're talking about Jeff Levy, uh, but you have to have someone who can manage the clock while also you know, running an offense or running a defense or being the CEO of the team. Uh, but you have to find that guy and it could be, you know, Brent Venables. It could be just a guy that's an assistant and say, Hey, uh, you know, you have one minute here. Let's not throw the ball. Let's just keep running. Let's just burn the clock out and not give the, the team another chance. So, um that's probably the main adjustment but everything else i mean they're kind of working through some stuff strength and conditioning um they're going to get that new training facility i think they're about to probably show the blueprint for it here pretty soon um get that under construction they'll probably add a new weight room um nutrition all that stuff is going to be there so uh what they're doing off the field as far as just developing players i think is already fixing itself yeah, I was going to go through player development another year uh, and the strict conditioning program because when people were so excited, oh, Schmidt's back. That means that this team's going to be tough again. Well, it takes more than one year, right? It, it takes more than one right. year. This thing takes two, especially with the exodus that Riley left Oklahoma with, takes two to three years, maybe even a full cycle, but maybe like two and a half, three years to really revamp that program, especially with the bodies that they're being dealt with. And so I was going to say strength conditioning, definitely. And then as I went back and listened to um, the very old Mike Leach podcast that I was able to do a while back, I asked him about Bob Stoops in general, um, because that was around the time that, you know, Lincoln Riley was popular and Bob Stoops. He mentioned about Bob, Bob called him first about looking for another offensive coordinator, uh, getting back to the spread. And uh, Leach mentioned this in rest in peace at Leach. And we'll talk about Leach a little bit later, but Leach mentioned that Bob, he was more of a CEO approach. Bob didn't mess with play calls. I mean, when they were coming to Oklahoma, Bob wasn't had the number one defense in the sec at Florida, Mike Leach had the number one offense in the SEC at Kentucky under Hal Mummy, who really, really said that, um, you know, who or who really, really put out the spread offense. And so they're combining the number one offense and defense in the SEC. And but in, in the podcast with Mike Leach, which was basically just him on his cell phone walking back from practice while he was still in <laughs> Pullman, like this man paused to talk to like people that were driving by because he's just such a nice soul. Um, mentioned how Bob didn't play calls. He let people kind of like do their operations and he was more of a program guy in facilitating like, Hey, you might run a fake here, more of a manager game manager kind of coach. And so I'm wondering if Brent is still kind of struggling with that. If how often, if how often he's called Dabo and Bob about those sorts of things, because you know, he's been in contact with Bob, you know, he's been in contact with Dabo about like, leg game situations like what he should do etc i don't think brent's the type of guy that has too much pride in doing so because he's new to this and you've got the oklahoma fans that are like well there's oklahoma there ain't some learning on top of the job sort of situation <laughs> like you know those people like your uncle ricks that are probably racist a little bit but like it's like it is what it is oklahoma <laughs> knew they were hiring a guy that's never been a head coach, but has been a Broyles winner, finalist, however many times, and national title winner out after he left OU um, and defeated the SEC with his defenses. So, I mean, just continue progress. 
strength conditioning. I don't know if DJ Graham is going to just stay at OU and see what he can do as at a, as a, as a wide receiver. I, he's number 81 right now going through bull catch. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and he wanted to play wide receiver coming out of high school, but I think that just continued progress through strength conditioning, especially on the offensive line will help them. And then of course, things that need to be changed is the recruiting tactics. I mean, Alex Grinch kind of leaves this defense, specifically the defensive line in the lurch when they dip out and all he's done is recruit Juco, Juco, Juco and transfer guy, transfer portal, transfer portal guys. And very like, three-star talent out of high school guys because now you have a mass exodus, not because people are transferring out. Well, they are transferring out because Brent's telling them to. Um, But you have a bunch of guys that don't fit the system. And then now you have a bunch of older guys that are graduating. So you have to dip into the JUCO ranks. But at the same time, you're having to dip into the transfer portal while also recruit high school guys at the same time. And that sends you down a very real world of like, oddities as far as the line goes because that's the main position so all that said i asked twitter yesterday because the rumor came out you know it's it's finally been unveiled even though everybody knew this oklahoma and texas are likely to be paying, playing in the sec in 2024 uh in that 2024-25 season so not this coming season but the up, upcoming season after that one i asked for the reactions in gift form only or GIF, whatever you want to say, not many people had positive ones to send me. A lot of it was just like, I don't know about that. How do you feel about this? Because the reactions I got were not great. And there were several. It's a little nerve wracking because if you look at this current recruiting class, not a lot of uh, defensive line talent there. Obviously there's something going on with the portal. I think we just don't know the entire picture yet, but the, Oakland was working on something there um, to get some talent in. But at the moment, your biggest concern is how are these, how's this defensive line going to hold up against the SEC offensive line and, and the power run game and that kind of stuff. And they just don't have those guys. And you already mentioned that, that Alex Grinch, you know, he recruited basically what are a bunch of power forwards and they're fast and they can get around the corner, but they can't really run through blocks or they can't sustain, you know, they can't hold the middle. So, uh, their biggest challenge right now is finding those, you know, six, three, 300 pound guys that can kind of clog up the gaps in the middle and then let the, the linebackers flow or the ends get around the corner. Um, and they just don't have that right now. And, and right now you're looking at a team that is starting to fill up, you know, on the back end, like secondary, I'm not really worried about. It seems like they're kind of starting to fit things together there. Um, but defensive line, it just doesn't feel like it's progressing like it should. And that's, you know, you move into the SEC in 2024, that's going to be your biggest uh, disadvantage. And so that was my thing for next this upcoming year, right? Was that I expect Isaiah Coe to stay at Oklahoma. And then uh, Jordan Kelly is staying as well, looks like. And so at least you have two big bodies in the middle uh, to clog up those lanes and guys that weren't shown the exit door by Brent because pretty much everybody that went to the portal and has gone to the portal so far um, has been told by Brent, like you're not on this level. And the next thing you know, you see Cedric Roberts, I believe, or Cedric, whatever. um, Whoever that was committing to Texas state. Like Brent's not joking. He like, if you're not up to the standard (laughs) and if you don't fit what he wants to do, they're going to show you the door or or 
pleasantly ask you to say, hey, listen, you're not going to play here at all. You can get a degree from OU, but you're not going to play. And if your ultimate goal is to get the NFL or the USFL or the XFL, it's not going to be Sean Tapier. Um, and so, I mean, Brent's had that open door policy where players can go discuss that with them. And so, I mean, that's my question, right? What happens with the defensive line in 2024? Who's starting? Because uh, David Hicks, people can hold out as much hope as they want. It does not look like it's happening, despite the fact that Oklahoma's starting to like get some real talent. It's like the door on the just defensive. doesn't close there. It doesn't like, but at the same time, it all, it also feels like the Tristan Lay stuff from Clemson where it's like, "Mm, we have a chance, but the entire time (laughs) he had actually already signed his um, financial aid agreement to Clemson. It's like, it's, that's wild that, Oh, people thought, Oh, he's going to get Tristan Lay in that hat or Lee, whatever didn't happen at all. Cause he had taken all these visits, but already actually secretly signed to Clemson, which was like, that really sucked. And Oklahoma already gets, you know, they lose what's his face before DJ Grand the year before. So Oklahoma's been really, really, really close on some elite defensive line prospects. Not that there aren't any in the portal. But I mean, like it's not that some aren't playing in bowl games, but it's an issue, right? I mean, so I'm curious to see what's going to happen in the trenches and like and who they're going to portal in because and who the who's going who's going to be the JUCO guys because as of now looking at this roster looking how it's constructed especially on the defensive line especially those interior guys that's going to be big problems 2024 SEC if they don't get that figured out which is going to have to be filled with transfers and JUCO guys as well as they recruiting as well as the recruiting guys as well. And so going on to coaches, so talking about Mike Leach, right? He mean he had the number one offense at Kentucky. Bob Soups wanted to bring that over to him. Bob Soups had a very strong relationship with them. Mike Leach goes to OU in 99 uh, with with Bob. And then uh, has he he spreads this this offense that how mummy creates the spread in general. And people were not necessarily fond of it because it was getting away from college football roots was just running the ball 30 times a game with a single person. (laughs) And it turned out to be quite effective where it led OU to new heights. And then Mangino takes over OU wins the national title the next year, use that spread offense. And suddenly the big 12 is, in the middle of this offensive revolution and getting made fun of on ESPN for putting up that many points. And now it's just the reality of college football today about that's how things work. And so while the big 12 gets clowned on 10 years prior about not playing defense, nobody plays defense because this off the, the amount of offensive capabilities that people have these days or teams have these days is, is incredible. So Rest in peace, rest in power to Mike Leach. The dude was just nothing but authenticity. Whether you liked what he had to say, whether you disliked what he had to say, the man was never fake. Um, And that's something that's missing in this coaching world. Like, for example, I would have loved to hear Mike Leach's thoughts. And that's what what that podcast was going to be about. That Because I had booked Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin. Um, but then the issues happened, especially with COVID-19 protocol and yada, yada. I was going to ask him about his uh, Lincoln Riley's exodus from 
OU to USC quite literally in the middle of the night and what he thought about that after recommending him like in a split second to Bob, but that never did get to happen. So um, that's a question that will ultimately go unanswered. But um, what do you have to say about the Pirate? I mean, you look at just what he's accomplished in college football and um, just his reputation and overall, just what people think of the guy. He's pretty much up there with Saban as far as, you know, recognize it. Like people just recognize Mike Leach. You can put a mic up to him. It's like, hey, that's Mike Leach. You don't have to see his face. You just got to hear what he says. You know, yeah, that's that's the pirate. So um, I think, what was it? Someone posted that he's like one game short or two games short of being eligible for the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, mm-hmm. I think they should just waive it. And yeah, he should absolutely be in the College Football Hall of Fame. He has been a cornerstone for, you know, the modern college football fan since you, know, you and I have been following it. So um, I think, you know, as far as how to do that, you look at the 2020 season, you could just waive that because you're waiving it for players anyways to have an extra year eligibility. Don't count that record. Mike Leach gets those, those uh, whatever the ratio is for that, and he's in the College Football Hall of Fame, so. Um, I absolutely think that's the route to do it because Mike Stoops, you know, Bob Stoops, Saban, you look at all the coaches out there, they kind of built this modern era of, uh, of college football. Yeah. And I, and and again, like I, I just feel so lucky because the first time I was able to podcast on Mike Stoops, it was straight up where I contacted their their sports information director and he just got me in contact with them really quick and then uh, one day uh, you were at work um and so i was going to be the only one on with mike uh, with mike uh with, with with leech and i was like i was pretty nervous i mean i'd never talked to a big time guy like that especially with a guy like as big as a personality as him and um he called me and it was a Lubbock area code. This man's in Pullman, Washington, still coaching the Wazoo Cougars. And he never changed his area code from Texas Tech. And then we talked for a long time before we actually started recording. We talked for a long time after we recorded. He told me like he had a daughter that taught that taught in you know in public education in Oklahoma. And he told me to save his number just in case I wanted to talk or podcast again. Again, just just authentic. I mean, the guy, like, like I said, like even while he was walking back from practice, he was just stopping by to talk to people that were like rolling their windows down and saying, Hey, to coach, it's just authenticity to the max. He deserves the college football hall of fame. He's, he's really, um, he's really changed the game. I mean, for, for offenses and how defenses really operate in general, but going to, more OU side of things as far as like wide receivers and how they should act and how their splits should be. LaDamian Washington is the, the current wide receivers coach at OU. And then you also have Ted Roof, who was thought to be, you know, having a replacement. And one of the names that was thought to be in the circle was Mississippi State's defensive coordinator. Well, obviously, that has changed since then because of Mike Leach's passing. And so for you, is LaDamian Washington still a wide receiver coach going into next season? And Ted Roof, is he still stepping down or 
because of everything that's happened with Leach or just with bowl games happening, do you think that's put on pause? It's kind of interesting what they're doing with Damian Washington because he's still doing the in-homes. He's still doing the recruiting and all that. Yeah. Uh, he's he was a guy that's with, very with engaged. The other day. Yep. So uh, I think there's more of a chance than a lot of Oklahoma fans probably believe that he's coming back. Uh, but they could also be waiting for a guy that's, you know, in his bowl game or in his, you know, I don't think it's a playoff game, but we can't rule it out at this point. So um, it's kind of like the Jay Valai thing. You have to wait till everything's settled and then you can kind of make a move if you, if you are going to make a move. But, uh, you know, LaDamian Washington, I think he's done a decent job coming in, but I don't know if that's he's the guy, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know if no, you can I go agree. into a room for like, for like an elite wide receiver and say, hey, I'm going to coach you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make yep. you into an NFL guy. I just don't know because I don't, I didn't see any progress with the wide receivers this year. And I obviously agree. it's a new system. There's a lot of chaos around the program. So you have to you know, factor that in, but um, I think it's just, it's too early to tell if he's going to be the guy. I think they should probably go out and find someone who's a little bit more veteran, uh, a little bit more proven um, and not just have like a very young staff. You got to have a guy that that knows what he's doing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, like I've been saying, and like people like talked about Rashad samples for a long time. That always felt like a really, really long shot. People talk about Malcolm Kelly, but I think that's because of nostalgia, not really what he's doing at TCU. Um, Levy has a very distinct type of receiver he wants in this offense, and they are tall trees that are fast. I mean, that's what they ran with with the Bear Raid, if you will, under Bryles. Uh, that's exactly kind of what they're doing with a few more wrinkles, of course, uh, under Jeff Levy. And so there is a specific type of receiver they're looking for. Petaway doesn't necessarily fit that, but he's a burner and that he's a guy that could contribute right away. Just being a guy with that, with that much speed um, would have been the same thing with the other wide receiver that just decommitted and went back to Georgia. Um, but <laughs> to, to that point, I mean, there's got to be something said about that, right? I mean, LaDamian Washington, like you said, like I would, I mean, when you had Kale there, you knew Kale was going to get more than likely the guys he wanted because Kale was very good and also born and bred in Oklahoma Sooner. Uh, Kale, he's very, very active and very, very there on Twitter. His presence is very solidly there. Um, so, like, do you just wait for another receivers coach? Do you take one from TCU staff? Do you take one from SMU staff? Do you wait after the bowl games, like you just said? And so with Ted Roof, with the Mississippi State stuff, again, like, is this a situation in which he still is intending to step down, quote-unquote, right, um, into, like, a more reserved role, or is he going to spend another year while Brent Venables maybe gets a little bit more involved with the defense for next year, or do they make that higher with the understanding? I mean, Regardless of that, and, and, and kind of like leaning into this next question about how we would assess Venable's first year, I think like... Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. 
This episode is sponsored by State Farm. Buying insurance can be complicated, and you might have a lot of questions, like, what if my policy doesn't cover that? Or, what if I need to make a claim in the middle of the night? Good news, State Farm is there for all your what-ifs. You can reach them 24-7, talk through any questions with your agent, and you can even file a claim on the State Farm mobile app. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com to get a quote today. Yeah, we talked about it earlier. There are definite miscues made by the players, but there's definite miscues completely by the coaches where like they made boneheaded mistakes that cost them maybe two games, definitely at least one game. And you got to look at it and say, staff is growing. Yeah, they made mistakes, but they could have done better here, etc. yada, yada. And so I look at the staff and I say, okay, maybe this is a time in which Brent Venables brings in a guy that is more likely to be a 3-3-5 guy on defense. Well, 4-2-5, whatever you want to call that alignment where the fourth guy on the front is actually an edge rusher, linebacker, et cetera, or even the cheetah position, which I think McCullough could do a variety of things for you in that place. But how would you assess Venables to this point? Like not just his coaching style, but him as a whole responding to the criticisms that have come out each and every game because they went on, they lost several games and that's not to the sooner standard from what a lot of fans are used to, especially over the last 22 years. So what would, how would you assess Brent Venables right now in his career at OU just after year one? And they, we haven't even hit a bowl game yet. It's, it's interesting because I think they're, you can see what they're trying to do. You can see what they're trying to build and you can see the hurdles that are in front of them. So it's a very transparent program. I don't think they're trying to hide too much uh, from the fan base. They're not going to give you an it's close answer or we're close. Um, but at the same time, you can see that Venables, I think he realizes his mistakes in some of those games. Uh, probably going to look back at the season. You already said, probably reach out to Dabo, probably reach out to Bob, uh, probably, you know, Snyder as well. And just say, Hey, I had trouble at these parts. What do you like? What's your advice on this? What did, what did you do when you're in my position? Because everyone's a first year coach at some point. So he can learn a lot from them. I don't think it's anything that, you know, is going to be unfixable essentially, but he's going to have to look in the mirror and say, Hey, I didn't really live up to my expectations. This is what I should have done. And going into this off season, I'm going to work on myself as well as continue to improve the culture um, that I think Oklahoma needs uh, going into the SEC. And that, and that's one thing that is definitely completely different about the Oklahoma football program. Like you said, then from the Venables era to the Riley era immediately. I mean, like about the culture aspect of it. There are players right now that have said they've heard more communication from Brent Venables and his entire staff, even current players that have been here for a couple of years in Norman that have heard more from Venables in their staff and in, in their staff um, and stuff like that. than in previous years with Riley, uh, not even just like recruits and, and commits, but players still on the team, that relationship building, that rapport. And I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to want to run through a damn wall for a coach that ha- you know has your best interest in mind and you know that is trying to constantly reach out to you 
to make you better instead of maybe, I don't know, like leaving a guy in the Pac-12 game where like his pinky is like gashed wide open, won't stop bleeding, and he's limping across the entire field. Uh, like while you're down 20 something points, like I'm just saying, like there are some serious like culture issues wherever Riley goes because it's like that's just the way he views football. It's a means to an end. You look at it's like the not... first quarter suspensions all the time. Yeah, yeah. You it's, look it's, at it's, those, like, oh, what's why is it consistent that someone's out for the first quarter of the first series every single game? Yeah. And and it, it's very Machiavellian of Lincoln Riley, where everything is a means to an end. He gets what he wants out of this player and it elevates him. Whereas Brent, it's not transactional. Those relationships, it's very operational in which he tries to cultivate that into, you know, I don't know, like building more rapport and also building more trust in that he has your best interest. And so it's just a totally different staff. And so moving forward, you mentioned this earlier and I kind of want to give my take on it as well. As far as giving Lebby, Jeff Lebby, the benefit of the doubt, because the last few games I was at in Norman, the people in the stands were not upset about the play on the field per se. They were not booing the players. Several times, though, at home in Norman, many of the fans were booing at the press box towards Jeff Lebby. And looking at like what the heck is this guy doing? It's three straight, like you said, three straight passes, two runs and a pass, one pass, one run, one pass. Like everybody knows like what the sequencing of those next things are gonna be. And so it's like, okay, maybe Jeff Levy had less kind of duties at Ole Miss than was alluded to, uh, even though Ole Miss folks were super crazy about Jeff Levy uh, when he was with Lane Kiffin. And so to you, do you still believe that he still deserves that benefit benefit of the doubt because he's only been through one season as that true offensive play caller where he's doing what he wants to do in comparison to having Lane Kiffin overlook what he's doing and having others what he's doing? Because Brent, that's not Brent's wheelhouse. That's Jeff Lebby to the max. What he's calling is what goes. Jeff Lebby is essentially the, off, the offensive coordinator and head coach of the offense. Brent, that's not his style. I think I do give him the benefit of the doubt, the doubt but uh, you also have to add in that when you look at Lincoln Riley's first year and those first few games, everyone was like, hey, this might not be it. Like, it's not even Baker Mayfield. Like, he might not be the guy. If you go back to the Tennessee game, they keep zooming yep. in on Trevor Knight and saying, hey, is Trevor Knight going to come in and kind of, you know, fix what's going on here? And then obviously – you know, Baker goes out of his mind, wins a game in double overtime. But then the, at the same time you happened. had Bob Stoops. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was something. It seems to always be TCU that, that knocks out an OU quarterback. So yeah. um no, but you had you had Bob there in Lincoln's ear and say, Hey, you gotta run the ball. Like I know you got a quarterback there, I know you got receivers, but in this situation we need to run the ball because it's gonna take time off the clock. And we're also getting, you know, four yards of carry right now. So there needs to be some sort of communication between the two. I know Levy's up in the box, uh, but he's got to, you know, get in his ear and say, hey, uh, these next two plays, I think we should run it. Because do you think we that, have some success there. Do you think that there. his play calling, that him being in the box? Because this is the first time in a while that OU hasn't had a guy down on the field. Do you think Levy not being on the field with the players hinders his play calling a little bit with Gabriel being an extension of him? 
I don't think so. Cause you have Joe John there. who's pretty familiar with the situation too. So he's yep. just basically another offensive coordinator and waiting. That's fair. Um, Cause Joe John so was at Baylor for I'm a not, while. I don't think, right. And then uh, I don't, I don't really see him being in the box as like a, a bad thing. I think if anything, it helps him out cause he can see the entire field. Yeah. So, but I like where Levy's offense is going. Obviously, it's predicated on improving the quarterback position and also continuing to improve the offensive line. Um, but the mistakes of like throwing the pass to the quarterback in overtime that was that was a dumb play, and getting getting uh, Gabriel knocked out for that one play. So, but those are things that obviously you can look back and say, "Hey, that's my bad. I can fix that." Yeah, and again, like people will say, Oklahoma is not a learning on the job situation, but I mean. Oklahoma also has gone quite young for all, pretty much all of their hires ever, like in the athletic department under Joe Castiglione, unless it's a basketball program. Pretty much they've gone like young, long. young or inexperienced um, at that at that position every time uh, to, for them to grow into that with a with a vision that's intentional. And so I think they very, very much know who Brent Venables is and what, what Brent Venables wants to turn Oklahoma into, similar like they did to Pandit Patty Gasso and Jenny Baranchek and, and, and all the other guys that come in. And so talking about guys coming in and even guys leaving, the transfer portal is pretty wacky. Again, like we talked about earlier, every single person that was in the transfer portal, except for Theo Weiss, realistically, was basically shown the door and said like, Hey, like you might need to step down to like conference USA. You might even go to a division two scored FCS, whatever they're calling it these days. Um, and so they're being very honest as far as talent that they're bringing in and then talent. That's also maybe going out, even though the talent going out isn't really too substantial. Theo Weiss is really the only surprise, but he's a guy that Brent Venable said that he wants to be a starter somewhere in which tells me, Theo Weiss wasn't going to start at OU next year anyways. And so guys still on campus, there's, there's, there, do you have any indications about Marvin Mims coming back? I mean, there's rumors that Marvin Mims is coming back. He was quoted today by saying that, you know, he got his draft grade back. He's talking it over with his parents. He hasn't really talked about it to the coaches because the coaches want to give him that kind of space to make those decisions on his own. We looked at the numbers about how much the difference is getting paid between third round and fourth and fifth round. And I mean, like, I look at this, I look at the wide receiver room. I look at who they're going after. I look at Stogner coming back. I look at Farouk coming back. And I look at the possibility even Drake Stoops coming back, which seems pretty odd to me. I don't know why he would want to stay another year, but hey, I digress. Um, He's the savior. But, yeah, I mean, like, gosh, he was clutch so many times for this team. Uh, and it's, it's wild to think about. And so I look at Oklahoma, who they're going after right now. And it looks like they have a guy that is already their number one, and they think he's already their number one. I feel like if Marvin Mims, the, if the staff knew he was out for sure, they would be going after guys that are, have bigger names right now, even if they were involved in bowl games. I mean, is that just me making things up? Like, especially with Austin Stogner coming back to Oklahoma, does that move the needle for Marvin Mims to stay at all, or does that just? Am I just like making up things to you? Uh, you might be kind of trying to read between the lines a little bit, but um, I think he'll stay. I think there's pretty clear indications that he needs to develop. 
Like if I was Marvin Mims, I'd probably declare for the draft and just develop in the NFL and get paid anyways. Uh, but if he can improve his draft like stock, there's, you know, yeah, Redmond was a big, big question mark there, but uh, Marvin Mims, obviously there's talent there. Um, he's had success, but his time at Oklahoma has been a little bit shaky. He hasn't really developed past the deep, th- uh, deep threat. So he's kind of a one trick pony for me. You know, does he come back? Does he work over the offseason with Gabriel and kind of work on some things where he can be more effective in the offense other than just throwing deep? I think so. And I think he's got the talent to do it. Um, so I think he'll, he'll likely come back. Um, but at the same time, it makes sense for him to just kind of cut his losses, head to the NFL, get paid, maybe, you know, fourth, fifth round pick and kind of develop your game as it goes. So, uh, but at the same time, I get it. The, you know, your rookie money is something you can't get back. Like that's once you go to the NFL, that's not money you get back. You can get money back in your second contract, your third contract. Um, but that initial payment is something you're just never going to get returns on. So if he gets, you know, $2 million more for going to the third round. Yeah. It makes sense a little bit. Yeah. Like he, he had, he had to light it up over the last couple of games to reach a thousand, a thousand yards. And right. like we talked before the season, Eric Gregg uh, surpassing a thousand yards. I thought he would, which he way over surpassed everybody's expectations. He was so incredible this year. The MVP of the team, if you will, uh, Mims had to have that Texas Tech game for sure to get over that thousand yard mark. Um, and like you said, I think that's a good point that you bring up. Like he's still, it feels like he still has time to develop. Like he's made some great catches. Yep. He's made some great catches and some immaculate catches that you can't believe he did. But at the same time, it still does feel like he has time to develop. It's been nice to see him catch the ball and then try to go on a breakaway and break away from his receipt from his defensive backs where he's carrying them for 10 yards. And if he had a little bit more lower body strength, he probably breaks those tackles and just go and houses them. And so that's another thing that I would want to see is more lower body strength and explosiveness from him in general. But again, like, I don't know, like maybe I'm maybe I'm reading too much into it. Like you said, with Stogner coming back, and the type of guys that are recruiting right now, it just seems like it's set up for him to come right back. And Drake Stoops, I didn't expect him to come back. He's an academic All-American for the Big 12. He won. He didn't win the Don Key Award. He won the one that only one person wins. Uh, he participated in senior day activities with Bob there. I mean, it only made sense to me that he would be on his way out. But who knows? I mean, People want to tease Isaiah Coe coming or leaving. I think like we you already talked about how we, you think he's staying. I think he's staying. Dylan Gabriel, I think it would be very silly to leave. I don't think I don't even think. I mean, like, would Dylan Gabriel get drafted? <laughs> right? He would probably like late, 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 uh, late, 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 late rounds. Like we're talking like six, like a, five. Probably five or six. Right, exactly. And like as a lefty. So I mean, it makes um, sense for him to come back. As, as a lefty that, you know, especially if Mims comes back and you have Farouk a year older, you have other burners and other tall burners a year older, along with the defense, uh, offensive line that is more well-rounded, especially, you know, bringing Andrew Rain back. You bring bring back Tyler Guyton. Uh, McKay Matower looks like he's coming back. Um, you aren't returning Anton Harrison, but you return Aaron Parks. And then now you look at other guys in the middle. And suddenly you don't, you don't typically feel so bad about the offensive line, especially with about how they're ending the year, because they definitely have grown over the series of the year. 
And so guys coming in, Oklahoma, yeah, they got guys coming in from the transfer portal, but the number one guy that everybody's looking at is All-American, Desan McCullough from Indiana, who played edge, but that dude plays everywhere on the field. He's the highest-rated recruit the University of Indiana has ever signed, and he was an All-American in the Big 12, and he said, you know what, me and my brother, we're going to go to OU, and his brother decommits from Cincy, and they are going to make their way to Norman. Um, My gosh. Talk about the defensive recruiting in general, but also Desan McCullough in general. Like, is he immediately playing edge? Is he immediately playing cheetah? He's immediately playing somewhere. Where does he fit? Because the guy is explosive as hell and six <laughs> foot five and long and athletic as all get out. It's incredible. Yeah, they they're likening him to Isaiah Simmons for Clemson. Uh, almost similar body types. I think Isaiah was probably a little bit had more on his frame than, than Desan can probably get, but um, they want him as the cheetah. He can move in space. He's physical. Obviously at six foot five, he's going to be able to cover a lot of things, including tight ends. Um, he can, he can rush the passer. He's effective as a, as a rusher. So he's kind of this do it all athlete. And I think a lot of people thought maybe, you know, Jordan Mukes fits that role. Cause he's fast, big guy, six, three, two, something. Um, obviously didn't work out for him. He's in the transfer portal. You bring in to Shamakola, everything, a lot of things get fixed. I mean, you, you look at what, uh, Sean white did this year, really good defender, made some big plays for Oklahoma. He didn't have the tools to move in space or cover tight ends or rush the passer like Deshaun McCullough did. So, um, very high upside, probably one of the best portal players you could just ask for. I think he's probably like what? ranked top 10 in the portal right now oh yeah probably top five honestly so uh if you exclude the quarterbacks because quarterbacks always get rigged pretty high so uh and insane get for oklahoma i think he's probably a day one starter at the cheetah oh yeah he, he definitely impacts the field immediately i'm excited to i'm excited to hear the practice reports on him um he's gonna affect the game in so many ways he's gonna he's gonna line up in so many different positions i'm excited to see what he can be it reminds me of talking about a few years back addison gums and what he could have been at the edge rusher position before he flipped over to wazoo yeah. i think um um and well, warm-ups goodness gracious and that was the last but, we ever saw of him or he went to Oregon State. That's what it was. But Deshaun, oh my God, my goodness, this guy—it's stupid what he's been able to do. And I—I I kind of feel bad for Indiana. I mean, they just had their highest-rated recruit ever. He wins an All-American, and then he's like, "I'm out." Roughly two <laughs> similar color schemes, um, but also Stogner returning to OU. That—that that, I feel like that's underrated. People like like they get Stogs back. I feel like that's underrated. He's like six foot seven. Um, well, if Dylan Gabriel still is able to overthrow him by like two feet over his head, that will still surprise me. Um, he's obviously didn't get the amount of targets he were he wanted at South Carolina, and of course, Braden Willis is exiting as Oklahoma's also their their younger tight ends are growing up like as like physically and also subsequently as like redshirt freshmen. How big of an impact does Stogner have on this team as well? Yeah, at first I was like, okay. I mean, they're bringing Stogner back. Didn't have the best ending to his Oklahoma career. Um, but if you look at, like, you know, his overall health, when he was healthy, he it's was good. a huge factor for Oklahoma's offense. He was, he was like the, the 
almost like a Mark Andrews. Like he would just moss defenders, get the tough touchdowns and, and just keep you in games that you shouldn't be in. Uh, yeah, he, so he if he's back to full health or, yeah, was, I mean, he's what, six, six, five, six, six, something like that. Yeah. Oklahoma doesn't really yeah. have that. Um, so him coming back, if he's, you know, even 90% healthy, that's a huge get for Oklahoma. I think he's very underrated. Yeah, I, I think it's big, and I and and a, of course, like all the message boards and everything else suggests that. And in India, he did want to be closer back to his parents, and this is, I mean, with Joe John, that familiar connection, and Oklahoma willing to get the ball to the tight ends. Um, with Stogner only getting like twenty receptions last year at South Carolina, I think it's going to do him good because he knows he's going to get that production. He knows he's going to get opportunities, especially over the middle. Just need to keep that guy healthy. And right. so and this is where he wants to be. And that, that helps a lot of players where they feel very right. comfortable playing. I'm curious what it's going to be like going from again, because so many of these, so many of these receivers are used to throw from used to QBs that throw right-handed. That ball feels a little bit different. That spiral feels a lot different when it's coming from the left hand because it's going opposite. And so it takes a minute to get used to. I mean, like people want to don't want to use that as an excuse, but Early on in the season, it can be a little bit of an issue, especially like when you're trying to make um, really big plays. I mean, if, if it's something that you're just unfamiliar with, it's something that you're just uncomfortable with at that moment. And it's something you have to actually get used to. I mean, Marvin Mims even alluded to it before the season even started. And so let's talk about next year a little bit. Oak, I don't think Oklahoma's looking to bring in a transfer quarterback. I think they're going to roll with General Booty. I don't think Davis Bevel is looking to transfer out. And if he does, he's just going to be somebody's second or third street backup again. I mean, just look at the Texas game. And um, I think Jackson Arnold has the talent to actually push Dylan Gabriel, especially the arm talent and the wheels. He's not a big guy. People think like Jackson Arnold's like six foot four. No, he's like six foot, six foot one, right? Uh, but he's more of a thick Roughly, guy. Yeah. He's he's got he's got some wheels and he's got a cannon for an arm that fits this offense to a T. Uh, he's been recruit. He wasn't recruited by really Lincoln Riley, but was definitely offered by OU with Levy because he fits this offense so well. Does Arnold impact next year uh, as far as chasing? Not necessarily chasing Dylan Gabriel, but maybe making Dylan Gabriel look behind his shoulder a little bit. And of course. We also have to talk about Peyton Bowen, his teammate, because he hasn't come out with an edit on Twitter yet and stuff like that. And like my my answer about Bowen has been it's always been a yes until he says no. And so I'm going to leave the floor to you. Arnold's impact on next year and Peyton <clears throat> Bowen. What do you got? Yeah, I think we're looking at another Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams situation because you look at Arnold, uh, you know, not the most polished guy, but definitely has the arm talent, um, has the size to probably come in. He's not going to run over people at, at the next level, but he can make plays with his legs. So um, I think he has all the tools there to push push uh, Dylan Gabriel. And if you look at the offense that Denton Geyer runs, it's it's fairly similar to what Oklahoma runs. I think their uh, offensive coordinator head coach was like friends or roommates with, with Jeff Levy at Oklahoma. So there's a lot of similarities. There's not going to be a huge learning curve for Jackson Arnold. So, so you mean he's not going to come in like all the A&M fans told us for a year straight? Um, I mean, I guess anything could happen, but 
I think this I mean, is he, a, this is gonna be a big win for Oklahoma. He tweeted today that he was signing no his, flat tires. Yeah, yeah. He 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 tweeted today he was signing his letter of intent to OU, and you know, I'm just still waiting for waiting for him to flip to A and M, like all the A and M fans have told me all year. I don't know. I mean, if, I guess if like Billy Lucci follows him to the bathroom and drops a bag at the signing day, maybe yeah. he flips. But yeah, I mean, that's I completely out. possible too. You know what Tex Ags does, so. But you look at Jackson Arnold, I think he can come in. I don't think he's a day one starter, but give him four or five games to get kind of acclimated to the speed of, of college football. And I think he could really push um, Dylan Gabriel, you know, towards the end of the season. So then you look at Peyton Bowen. I think you kind of said it too. It's trending Oklahoma's way uh, quite extensively. There's obviously it's not done till it's done, but I think Oklahoma has checked all the boxes there as far as, you know, Peyton Bowen really likes Oklahoma, obviously has the girlfriend committed to Oklahoma to play soccer. Uh, I think they're, they finally turned the family into believing in what Oklahoma can offer as far as just getting a, a quality education and, you know, uh, not just undergrad, but, you know, we can work on your master's or whatever you want to do. Um, that's completely on the table. So I think they've checked all the boxes that there were some concerns there. So, you know, you go to Notre Dame, obviously, that degree means a lot to a lot of people, but you go to Oklahoma, we can, we can work on some things for you to get you where you want to go. Um, so I think I'm picking Oklahoma. I don't think it's going to change unless Billy's in the bathroom at, at signing day. Yeah. For, for Bowen. I mean, like it, you see all the message board comments from Notre Dame fans and you see just like the amount of elitism that like takes place. They're like Oklahoma. I mean, a Notre Dame, you're going to get a degree that CEOs from companies get and you're going to go to Oklahoma. And it, it, it just reminds me when, <laughs> when I was watching Caleb Kelly, Oh gosh, it feels like forever. Again. It was forever ago. I was watching Caleb Kelly's announcement between Notre Dame and OU. And he was going to be the OU's five-star crown jewel of their class. And he ended up picking OU. And I finally turned it around. And this one is is different, right? This one didn't feel like a hat. This one does not feel like a hat, like just like a, a, a you know, like a, like a hat, whatever. This one doesn't feel like a flip radar or whatever. As far as last second tricks up somebody's sleeve, it definitely feels like it's trending in OU's way. I mean, Deshaun McCullough, uh, Deshaun McCullough is over there. I mean, like if Peyton Bowen, if if there's this much smoke about him flipping to OU for this long and he's been on campus several times and his dad is a running backs coach at Notre Dame and he's still on the fence and doesn't really want to go there. I mean, like, let's give it up. And in an Oregon has more money than anybody with the Nike thing, but he is not familiar with that entire organization institution. So it makes sense, especially for him to be at OU and of course having another five-star defensive back would be very, very helpful in turning around this program, which Brent Venables wants to do because Brent, his defense does not need elite defensive linemen that cause havoc, but it certainly helps every single defense to have at least one of those guys. Um, but it if you have a Macari quite a bit, if you have a Macari Vickers <laughs> and you have, yeah, if you have a Macari Vickers, a Gentry Williams, and you, Peyton Bowen, you have a ton of other guys in this class and last class. I mean, doesn't really matter too much. I mean, those guys are lockdown guys that are pretty special. 
And then you've got a linebacker core that, you know, the older ones are pretty good. The younger ones are really good. Uh, and so it, you've got a lot of ways to look up. You just need to get that defensive line short up. And so for Peyton Bowen, again, like I said, it's always been a yes for me until it's been a no. And we saw what happened with Billy Bowman and Jada Coleman. Uh, I think Peyton Bowen is going to be the same uh, as far as his significant other on the, on the soccer team as well. And I think he'll end up in the crimson and cream like you just suggested. So kind of last thing as far as recruiting, and this may be like national signing day two stuff because OU still getting guys in on, on preferred walk-ons and they're Oklahoma kids. They're Tulsa kids too. Um, are there other fringe guys that Oklahoma should really be looking We or we as people looking in for Brent Venables should be looking at or names to be thinking about in the back of our minds uh, out on commit watch for maybe not national signing day one, but maybe national signing day two, or are we, should we focus all of our attention on this next coming couple days? So there's been some rumors out there. Obviously let's just cover it because it's going to be out there. Uh, David Hicks, Oklahoma spent a lot of time with David Hicks over the past 24 hours. Uh, the door is still not closed as much as people just want to get rid of that situation. Um, we'll see Banks what Oklahoma does. Obviously, obviously, this recruitment it's not, we're not hiding anything here, it's very NIL based. So, Oklahoma is gonna have to put something together as far as an NIL package to, uh, you know, put some cash or you know, incentives in there for him. But he's listening, Oklahoma's still trying. So, obviously, they think they have a chance, they think they have something they can put together. Uh, that one's not coming down till I think it looks like Friday. Yeah. So it's there's Friday. a couple of days there. Peyton Bowen's probably going to be tomorrow. Um, but Friday for David Hicks, that situation's just not going away. So that will be probably a, a small little roller coaster we got to endure. Uh, the other one is uh, Marcus Strong. The I think he's like an interior defensive lineman out of Florida. Uh, Three star guy. I think Oklahoma could probably win that battle if they wanted to. It's just say, you know, do you want the spot or not? So they've done what a good job Cecilia kind of Connor, that one seems like it's going Oklahoma's way. I know Texas is making a push there, but there's just so much familiarity with, with Brent Venables and Cecilia Connor. It goes back, you know, months and months and months, whereas Texas is a little bit of a new player. Um, so I, I think that relationship's going to win out for Oklahoma. I don't really feel like Cecilia Connor is going to go to Texas. And so, like, Closing out this class, Oklahoma already is in the top 10 right now. Do you feel like closing out this class, Oklahoma should feel relatively pretty pretty good over the next two years of like who they're bringing on campus, specifically on defense? Yeah, this is your first real class you put together because obviously they didn't get started until, what, December, December 10th last year mm-hmm. to finish mm-hmm. out that class they already had, so... This is really your first run, and you got some some very quality players coming in here. I mean, you look at like Lewis Carter, uh, a guy I really like. I think he could play Cheetah. He's kind of this kind of fringy Delarin Turner Yell, but uh, but just bigger. He's a bigger guy. Um, almost, I guess you could even liken it to like a Brian Osamoa. Um, yep. But a guy that's very physical, very fast, uh, plays with an edge. I think he's a guy you got to be excited about. Um, obviously, there's some other names in there, but that's a guy I like if you can find that guy every class or every other class, you're going to be just fine. I'm so that's so a very excited. impressive find. I think he's going to be maybe like a fringe four-star, but huge good for yeah. Oklahoma. 
I'm just so excited that Oklahoma already has guys on their roster like Jaron Canick that Canick, we all thought, or many people thought he was going to end up being a cheetah, but it looks like he's going to be a will or inside linebacker, which to me makes me happy because I can think about all the things that Oklahoma football used to be about all the things commentators used to specify about Oklahoma football. Yeah. Run North and South. You don't have the bodies to do that. Yeah. Run East and West. Those linebackers are too fast. You can't run East and West in Oklahoma. And then when I see David Aguebu's slowed ass down, not being able to catch a West Virginia quarterback, <laughs> it blows my mind. And so it's nice to see guys with that kind of speed and not just like straight line speed. I'm talking about pursuit speed that that really matters because taking angles yeah. and tackling like angles, exactly like taking the in at PJ Adabare got his fifth star on two, four, seven. People need to recognize that. Um, it's, just that he's top 25 right now. Yeah. It's incredible. And just getting that pursuit speed and taking those angles are is just as important as that speed. And that's what Brent preaches is tackling angles, taking angles to the ball that will lead you right there and not just simply speeding up to get behind them because that's going to put you behind the chains every single time. So this is the last podcast we're going to do till Christmas, Stephen. And so, you know, tis the season of giving. And then, of course, the next day is Boxing Day. But in this section of the podcast, man, we're going to find two to three gifts that you'd like to give to the players, maybe the coaches, or even the fans. And so I'll go first to kind of give you an idea of it. And so one of the gifts I'd love to give out is a, a footwork coach for Dylan Gabriel. Because when he is being pressured in the pocket or is being rushed for any sort of reason, his footwork gets all sort of out of whack and it causes his stance to go super wide, which forces him to kind of overcompensate for his footwork or lack of footwork underneath him to where a lot of the balls are overthrown. Whereas if he has good footwork or decent footwork, those balls aren't overthrown. And so, my gift to him is another trainer for that during and in the off season. Um, what's a, what's a gift that you would give to somebody else? And it could be like a magic gift or just an actual gift. Well, I think it's already already coming. But if you look at like Jerry Schmidt or Brent Venables, I would, I would give them the new training facility now because, I mean, they want that weight room. They want the the dining hall pretty much in the same building so they can just monitor the players all the way through the process of you know here's your workout these are the proteins you need these are you know the carbs you need to get get you where we need you to be um so i think that's gonna be a huge deal i think it's very underrated at the moment that that that's on its way and i don't think a lot of people are talking enough about it so uh if they had that going into this off season i'd feel a lot better about where they're heading in 2023 but um that would be my my off season gift for them I'm going to give another gift to um, I'm I'm going to give a gift to Jeff Levy and it's going to be my cell phone number and he can't block <laughs> me and it's just going to be me texting him occasionally why are you passing the damn ball three times in a row so I can just text him and say hey run the ball stop going that, tempo that, stop going to, like yeah like Closing the game out, it's the third quarter with two minutes left, and you're up by two and a half scores or two scores, 
and you're passing the ball three straight times or you're running the ball, you're trying to run clock, but you're still snapping it at 17 seconds. Like, what are you doing? Like, like that that's a Brent and Jeff thing. Uh, but I digress. That's a Brent on the headset thing telling, you know, Jeff to slow the hell down. So that that's my gift to Jeff Lebby is my personal uh, cell phone so I can text him. Uh, do you have any any other gifts to to players or physical attributes that you might want to give to players as as a gift? Like another one I thought about was giving Danny Stutzman more speed. Ooh, okay. I was going to give Danny Stutzman a film room, so he just stopped going in the same gap as every other linebacker. Gosh, man. So there's one gift. Fair enough. My other gift, I think, I don't know how much it would cost, but I would pay for like a stylist. I think that's what you call him, like a like a personal stylist for Bill Biedenbow. I mean, get the, get that guy some some photogenic qualities. Let's get him a stitch fix. He, like, he tried, like, yeah. Get him a hug. Get, he needs a hug because he's just he's been through so much bullshit. But let's yeah, get him a stylist. Let's get him get him on camera where he feels comfortable. Yeah. Let's actually let's send him let's let's send let's sign him up for a queer eye uh, and like have him do a makeover uh, college football edition. That would be a good time. Can you do that? Or just Why not? Like Snapchat. Throw like a little Snapchat filter on there. You're good to go, Bill. Yeah, we we can just we we can just we can sign up sign him up on Stitch Fix and have his outfits be a little bit better <laughs> so he feels a bit more better about himself. That are that's personalized. Um, any 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 other any other gifts you'd like to give out? Um, I don't know. I guess to the fans, just a new NIL foundation. You just put them all together, put all the money together. Uh, that way you don't have to donate to five or six different NIL collectives. I know they are starting to merge, but yeah, it should have already been done by now. All these, uh, by the way, all these announcements lately have been rather confusing because players are saying they're signing their national letter of intent tomorrow, but they're saying NLI. And so I'm like, but it's confusing to me because all we've seen is NIL. And so I keep on looking at it and saying and thinking I'm signing my official NIL agreement to OU tomorrow. And I'm like, what, why would you say that in a tweet? And then of course I'm like, not like they aren't, but it's just, it's thrown me off that they're just swapping the two letters, which mean totally different things. But at the same time, now that USC has kind of looked at their players as employees of the university, that's a different can of worms for a different day. That's a different podcast, yeah, that if you will, because well. because uh, that if we if we dove into that, we'd be on here for another thirty minutes. But uh, that's all I've got. I'm all tapped out. You got anything else? Uh, join Discord because it's going to be an interesting ride. I don't know if it's be a fun ride or, or a wild ride, but it's gonna be an interesting ride the next couple of days, mm-hmm. just to see what Oklahoma does with a couple situations. I think. I don't think Peyton Bowen's going to be too much of a mystery, but, you know, Oklahoma might have something up their sleeve, and it's just something to monitor. Yeah, and I would echo that to follow Discord. It's also one of the things on Twitter that I'm allowed to pa- uh, that I'm allowed to post that won't get my account suspended uh, <laughs> because of oh, random things. Yeah, and and, and 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 of course, people made like their own cases as far as as far as Linktree and like how it helps them. And he was like, "That's a good point." And so, ho- hopefully, it's that's not banned. But I'll just do Discord just to be safe and put it in the bio of this podcast. But. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to everybody that follows the podcast. Guys, thank you so much for supporting us for the last, you know, gosh, me and Steven, we go back way, like almost like, you know, like seven coming eight years uh, this coming year. 
Um, so thank you guys for listening to us. I'm going to try to find up, find and dig up that Mike Leach podcast uh, a little bit and maybe post tidbits of that occasionally. Um, because it's only about 30 minutes. We talked about conspiracy theories and Geronimo and random other things and ghosts, which was also fun. And he said, boom, the, library the, end. the best one. Oh yeah. He's got, he's got great, great stories. So I'll try to, I'll try to find that and patched into a, maybe like a special Christmas episode or something like that. That'd be cool. But go ahead and follow us on crimson and cream machine.com. There's awesome stuff every day. You can follow us on Twitter at TC Machine. You can follow me at KimRobbie and CCM. You can follow Steven at OUUpdatedSB. You can follow Jack at JLarryShields. And again, till next time, guys, we'll see you later. Have a great Christmas. And again, I'm going to put the Discord in the bio. Check you guys later.